Coming up on Unpolished MBA. A lot of people are working a lot of hours, but because you're a generalist, you don't really have any focus. It's difficult to do other types of marketing other than relying on word of mouth and referrals. And that for me is problematic because Mm -hmm. as a former SEO guy, I knew, hey, hang on, there's other types of marketing out here that I want to do that are really effective. And why am I not able to do any of those? And that that was really frustrating for me because I could help other types of businesses. There was lots of options available to them, but it didn't really fit my type of business. This show is sponsored by TPM Focus, the strategy and execution consulting firm focused on generating revenue and finding product market fit for new innovations. Head over to tpmfocus.com to learn more. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the next episode of Unpolished MBA Podcast. And today I have with me Alistair McDermott. Hello, Alistair. Monique, I'm so uh, thrilled to be here. Thanks for inviting me on. Yes, it's a pleasure to have you here. So I'm going to ask you the same two questions I ask everyone. First one is, are you an entrepreneur or corporate employee? I'm no longer an employee. I've been an entrepreneur for about 15 years because I'm pretty much unemployable. Oh, we have to talk about that. How about this? MBA or no MBA? So uh, I joked, I joked saying that one of my uh, my previous business projects was the MBA that I don't have because it took about the same amount of time and money. But no, I don't have an official MBA. (laughs) (laughs) You know, what? what's interesting about that comment is, and the reason why we even have this podcast, because some people believe that having an MBA gives you an advantage with starting a business. I don't believe so. It does give you an advantage in corporate, you know, with understanding the corporate way of things. Most Mm -hmm. MBA programs prepare you for that. But I do know some people that feel as if they've spent just as much money learning, you know, some basic business things the hard way as they would have if they would have went to business school and met someone that could help them. Not that they would learn it from the material per se, but met someone in their network. Yeah. I mean, I I know a lot of people, a lot of my clients have MBAs and a lot lot of people have MBAs. And I think that, you know, you do get a certain type of knowledge. And I also think that the network that you develop there is really important as well. But, you know, you can get the same thing from work experience in in different ways. And yeah, I I mean, I wouldn't recommend to anybody, to be honest, particularly with the with the cost of education in the United States. I wouldn't recommend to people that they even need to go to college anymore. (laughs) Exactly. You know what? It's funny you say that because, you know, they keep coming up with different types of degrees, it seems, every month. (laughs) Um, And, you know, certain things should actually be a certificate. It's really not that serious to get a full four-year degree in some of these things and then not be able to find a job in them. Yeah. I mean, it's ridiculous. But yeah, I want to spend some time talking a little bit about, you know, what you do now because, you know, you say you've been an entrepreneur for 15 years. So what have you been doing? Tell me a little bit about that journey that you've been on where now you're kind of like this recognized authority in your field. So tell us a little bit about that journey. Okay, so I'm not yet claiming to be a recognized authority, although I hope that's where my journey will take me. I started out as a software engineer, which is not really a real engineer, unlike I think you're an electrical engineer by trade, is that right? Yes, I am. 
Yeah, well, uh, software engineers, software is, is a very new industry. It's not really as mature as the other kind of engineering schools. But uh, yeah, so I started out as a software engineer. When I came to the realization that I, I just don't fit in in a corporate environment, I wasn't a very good employee. I wasn't a very good teammate to my teammates, to my colleagues. I needed to get out and do my own thing. So uh, before you go further, I want you to describe what that is. What is not being a good employee and not being a good teammate look like? Like, Can you provide some examples? Oh, yeah. I did enough not to get fired. Uh, <laughs> I was very smart. I would always have a quick glib answer in, in, in meetings and things. Mm-hmm. But I just I was not enjoying what I was doing. And I, I gave that off in, in a lot of very subtle ways. And yeah, I just I wasn't contributing as I should. Like I did enough not to get fired, which is not really a great bar to hit. So, um, yeah, I, I just wasn't enjoying what I was doing. And uh, and I felt a bit trapped because I, I felt I didn't have a skill set that was very transferable. So when I did leave, I, I kind of I built up another skill set, which was search engine optimization, which at the time back in 2005, 2006, it was quite technical. It's a lot less technical now. There've been a lot of improvements in, in the world of search engine optimization SEO, but at the time it was quite technical. So it suited my software engineering background. So I used that as the the, the kind of the step out the door, the thing that I could actually sell my skills and uh, make a, a living. So that, that was the first step. Wow. Well, I would say that although you say I'm I'm not a recognized authority, SEO is not as simple as people think it is. Like that is a unique skill set that certain people are. I I would go to them instead of them, you know, someone coming to me about that. And I know just enough to be dangerous. How about that? Um, (laughs) So I want to talk about so you, you did that. And then what was the next step after that? So I kept getting asked while I was helping people with search engine optimization and internet marketing, as we called it, I kept getting asked to build websites because I had been doing that for a long time. In fact, I've been building websites since 1996. My first website was on GeoCities. Yes, so, um, I remember in, GeoCities. Yeah. Wow. Back in the day. Uh-huh. So uh, yeah, I just kept getting asked for these websites and I said, okay, well, I better... I better start building websites because, you know, it's a way to make money. So what I ended up doing was I ended up building a lot of websites and I rebranded the business to Website Doctor. So I ran that as a as a business then from about 2008 to about, and well, I'm still running it as a business, but it hasn't been my, my primary focus for the last two or three years. Okay. That name is very smart. Like it tells people exactly what you're doing. Because uh, <laughs> I want to talk, I want to get into that too. A quote you just did on, on LinkedIn about marketing. So you did that. Now, where are you at? So what I was finding when I was selling websites, so I always wanted to be an expert. I want, always wanted to be a consultant. I didn't want to run an agency and have 40 or 50 employees. That wasn't the path I wanted to go down. I wanted to be an expert and write books and be an authority. That was kind of how I envisaged the, the business. And I, I really didn't want the idea of, of having to do you know people management and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to grow my business in that way. And I found it really difficult when I was running Website Doctor. I, I found it, I wasn't able to write blog posts. I started planning a podcast in 2014 and I didn't launch it. And, and I, I really tried to launch that podcast for a long time. The reason was, and it took me, you know, looking, it's only looking back in hindsight that I really understand it. It was because I was way too broad. I wasn't focused down. I didn't have any niche. I I had clients in every industry. I was building e-commerce websites. I was building all sorts of different websites, websites for charities. And I, I just had no focus. And that lack of focus, it meant that when I went to write a blog post, I was trying to write it for people in, in 20 different industries at the same time. And it, it just oh, it, it was so bad. So cool. Yeah. 
That's difficult. So what did that experience teach you that you would tell someone who's on this journey now? So now looking back, and and I've done a lot of research around this, and I've talked to a lot of really smart people. So now looking back, I realize, okay, in order to be an authority, in order to be a recognized authority, the rest of that phrase goes, you're a recognized authority in your field. And so you actually have to pick a field. You have to narrow down. You have to niche down. And so that process of specialization, that's actually a choice that a lot of people don't make. Uh, They choose not to specialize. They choose to stay generalist, which is absolutely fine. And, And you can do really well as a generalist. But it's very difficult to become an authority, to become an expert if you don't move away from being a generalist. Well, you know what? Some people think they have niched down. So how far do they do they actually need to go? So let's use your business, for example, with the website doctor. If you mm-hmm. had to niche that down, just let's give an example of you doing that with the website doctor. It could sure. be definitely hypothetical. Yeah. So there's a couple of different things you could do. So you can do it vertically, which is to choose an industry. So I could say, okay, it's it's websites for dentists or websites for uh, restaurants or, or websites for consultants, for example, all of those kind of things where you're picking an industry or you could specialize by platform. You could say, I only work on say Squarespace websites or yeah. WordPress websites, although that would probably be not enough of a specialization because so many people build WordPress. And then you could specialize by problems. You could say, well, I, I work on websites that need to be super fast. So I, I only work on websites that need to load in 200 milliseconds or something like that. You know, you could pick some kind of problem area or search engine optimization is another problem area. I, I only work on the search engine optimization part of websites. So you're kind of focusing down. So there's different ways to do that. Mm-hmm. And then you can combine those. So you could say, well, I only do search engine optimization, let's say for the, the wedding industry. And that's a friend of mine, Sarah Dunn. And so she, she does search engine optimization for wedding planners. And mm-hmm. so she started out relatively unknown a couple of years ago. And now she dominates that niche because she's the, the only one. So she can say, I'm the best. I'm the number one in the world at this one small thing, you know, and, and that's the cool thing about specializing, about choosing a niche. Mm-hmm. That's very important. But you and I both know how many people are afraid to do that because they're thinking, yeah. oh, no, I mean, it's only but so if, if they're trying to calculate their total addressable market, they would say, OK, well, there's only, you know, 50,000 dentists in the U.S. and or, you know, whatever, whatever location they're trying to target. And the common term is if I can get one percent then that's only this many people. And then if I charge this much per website, then that's only this amount of income. And then I haven't accounted for the expenses of marketing and having health and blah, 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 blah. So what do you say to those people that are afraid of not making enough money when they niche down? I'd say you're right to be afraid. There there are genuine fears because the process of niching down, of specializing, you're actually turning away opportunity. That's what you're doing. So you're, you're turning away most opportunity in order to focus down on being the best choice for, for somebody. So yeah, you, you are turning away opportunity, but I mean, everything that we do in business, every decision that we make, there's opportunity cost of doing it. So everything that we do, there is a choice, but yeah, th- there are genuine fears. But what I'd say is if you don't niche down, you're also turning away things. You're turning away the ability to become an authority in your field. You're turning away the ability to charge premium fees. Mm -hmm. You're turning away the opportunity to do a different type of of marketing, do inbound marketing. So there's a lot that you're turning away if you don't choose it. Oh man, you hit the nail right on the head. I I 100% agree with you on that. 
we're going to take a quick time out and pick back up in just a moment. If you need marketing campaigns and landing pages done quickly so that you can test the market with your ideas and see who's interested and then stay in touch with those people, you need a tool that can automate all of that. You're an innovator and you're certainly busy. Perhaps you don't have a CMO or chief marketing officer right now, or you have no plans to hire one anytime soon. And you may be doing this type of work yourself or have a new career professional or even intern helping you. You need Entreport. You can build a landing page or website in minutes. You can accept payments. You can automate marketing campaigns and the list goes on and on. I have personally been using Entreport to build, automate and grow my business for going on seven years now. I don't recommend any tool that I haven't used and that I don't believe can help the unpolished MBA audience. Simply put, you can move and test your innovative ideas in the market faster with this tool. Don't get bogged down with too many complex tools. This is all you'll need. Go to tpmfocus.com forward slash entreport and that's spelled O-N-T-R-A-P-O-R-T and that's O-N-T-R-A-P-O-R-T tpmfocus.com forward slash entreport. Go there to start your free trial and get started. So I'd like for you to share some of your insights with the audience on how they can build their authority once they do decide to niche down. What are some ways they can do that? Okay, so I envisage this journey to authority. And if if you just bear with me, I'm going to give you like a a visual metaphor. Yeah, Um, let's go. So if you can imagine this, this path, so you start off as a novice and, and everybody starts off as a novice and that's okay. I mean, that just means that you're, you're starting out. You might be really smart. You just don't have a lot of experience. Yeah. And at the start, you need to have the ability to get broad experience so that you can make good decisions later. So you have this kind of winding path that's going back and forth and up and down. And you're just getting this broad experience as this, as this novice in your field and you start to get better and better at what you do. And so at some point you end up where you are this expert and you're a generalist still, you've done a lot of different things, but you're really good at what you do and you get great results for your clients. And so at that point, and maybe that's, maybe if you've got an MBA, that's two or three years into your career, or maybe, maybe you don't have an MBA, maybe that's seven years into your career, or maybe there's some mix and match of that. But you get to this point where you're this expert generalist. So people know that you're very good at what you do and you get recommendations. In fact, you get most of your business through word of mouth, mm-hmm. through recommendations or referrals. Now, at that point, you can stay where you are there and make a very, very good living. There's a lot of people can make up to a million dollars at that position. A lot of people struggle at that point. A lot of people are working a lot of hours. But because you're generalist, you don't really have any focus. It's difficult to do other types of marketing other than relying on word of mouth and referrals. And that for me is problematic because Mm -hmm. as a former SEO guy, I knew, hey, hang on. There's other types of marketing out here that I want to do that are really effective. And why am I not able to do any of those? And that was that was really frustrating for me because I could help other types of businesses. There was lots of options available to them, but it didn't really fit my type of business. And that was where I was. So I was in this generous position. So at that point, you can stay there or you can choose the next path. And I envisage the, the next step is going through this process of specialization, of niching down or niching down mm-hmm. and choosing your focus. 
And that for me is like this mountain range that you have to get through. And sometimes it's good to have a guide to get through that. I think it's essential that you have somebody to bounce ideas off and to get some feedback. But you go through that process of specializing. And when you get through to the other side, you're not yet an authority in your field, but there are already benefits in specializing and niching down. There's benefits like you become more profitable because you're working on the same types of projects over and over again. Mm -hmm. You start to pattern match as you see the same types of clients and client problems. You start to develop this deeper expertise in what you're doing. So you're, you're able to start charging more of a premium for what you're doing just because you're getting better results. So there is huge benefit in that part, in the niching down, in, this, in the specializing part. Hey, man, I love the way you describe that. And it's still scary for people because there are some people, especially if they're just getting started in this, they're expecting to make it through that journey in the first 30 to 60 days. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah, that's that's probably not going to happen. It, I think that specialization, the specialization decision, first of all, you got to make the decision and then you've got to test it. And sometimes, by the way, you choose the wrong thing and that's OK, too. And that does happen. It happened to people that I know of. Uh, Sarah Dunn, actually, the, the lady I mentioned earlier, mm-hmm. she chose, I think it was Facebook ads for chiropractors was the first thing she focused on. And she found that that wasn't, she, she liked neither Facebook ads nor the target market she wanted to change. Right. And so she she started looking again and she tested something else. Another um, podcast guest of mine, case study copywriter, she had a process of niching down and she first went into the health market and she, and found that that wasn't uh, where she wanted to be. And so she changed and started working with, with B2B SaaS companies. And so you can choose the wrong thing. It's okay. If you think of the process of specialization, niching down, if you think of it as this commitment that you can never get out of that, you know, this one-way street, it's not like that at all. You know, you're, you're not making a permanent decision. It's not like a face tattoo. You're able to turn around and, and go pick something else if you want to. So I, I prefer to think of it as a, a test campaign. Yeah. Um, so you say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to test this out and see, does this work for me? That's great. I love your your metaphor to a face tattoo. That's that's yeah, fun. And I, I gotta I gotta put my hand up and say that's actually from Jonathan Stark. But yeah, I, I love it, so I use it. <laughs> yeah, that's funny. What's interesting about the way you describe it is something that I call founder market fit because I work with startup, you know, innovators and startups. And sometimes there's a problem that they really want to solve for a certain group, but they're not really entrenched in that group. You know, they're not a Mm -hmm. member of that group or that part of the community. And they will start, and I I experienced this myself before, and they will start like their go-to market strategy, like, yeah, you know, and prospecting within this group of, you know, certain types of business owners. And they're like, oh my gosh, they all have similar personalities and I do not like them. And so I'll give you an example is one that had a business idea for pharmacists. Now, uh, I don't know how many people know pharmacists, but I've never met a jipper happy pharmacist. (laughs) I actually used to work in the pharmacy as a pharmacy tech when I was in high school. That was before you needed certifications and all that stuff. And um, it's treacherous. I mean, you're on your feet 12, 15 hours a day, you know, and it's just no one's happy with you. And so I don't blame them for not being jipper and happy when they come to the counter. But that's not something that, you know, this client was interested in dealing with every day when trying to share this new innovation with them that could potentially help, you know, with their workflow. And so, yeah, sometimes it doesn't work out with that particular community or or target customer you reach out to. But that still doesn't mean you can't apply it to another audience. 
Well, the reason we're business owners is that we can make those choices, that we can that's change right. things up and work with who we want to work with. So, Absolutely. you know, that's, that's the point. And, and I, I didn't have great experiences. I, I, I did have a couple of pharmacies as clients and I didn't really enjoy working with them either. So, <laughs> let, let me tell you, Monique, there, there is one more step on that journey that I was talking about earlier. I just want to, want to, want to close the loop on that. It is once you've made that, so you've gone from novice to this generalist, and then you go from this generalist to this specialist positioning. And so you can be specialist and still have low visibility where you're not really known, but you're still getting well-paid and you're profitable because you've got good systems and processes. And you've probably got less subcontractors than you had before if you work with subcontractors Mm -hmm. because you need less people when you're more specialized. And maybe you've even got things like productized services and things like that. So the ship is running a lot. It's, It's a tight ship. You know, it's running a lot more smoothly. But the next step then is to actually get that visibility and to become a recognized authority in your field. And and that also, that, that step really interests me. I think it's actually an easier step. I think it's more about time and grade than the specialization decision, which is a bit more about, you know, making a decision and, and implementing that decision. Mm-hmm. The step to being a recognized authority is really about speaking and writing. That's, that's kind of what you need to do. And there might be some research in there as well. Like typically some people will do small scale research. Maybe they'll do surveys or interviews and maybe there's a book in there as well. There's things like that. And you're kind of developing your own brand, your own, you know, your personal brand, your point of view, all of those types of things. And that phase really interests me. And that's kind of where I am at the moment. I've done a lot of research and uh, I'm now at the stage where I've, I've, I have a book under consideration with a commercial publisher and, and things like that. And it's a really, it, I think it's a really interesting place to be. Mm-hmm. And, and then the other thing is the, the, the writing and the speaking. So your writing might be your blog or it might be your email list. And then you're speaking and maybe on stage or it may be on podcasts like this one where, where you're asked to come along and talk about your ideas. Mm-hmm. But you're, you're doing this writing and speaking on a regular basis you're kind of honing your point of view. And yeah, I think that's the, that's kind of the slow, gentle slope up towards being a recognized authority. I think you've, you've just got to spend some time doing that. Wow. And congratulations on your potential book deal. I see so many people who are like, yep, I'm writing a book now, I'm writing a book now. And some of them I have bought and I'm like, wait a minute, this is just a combination of all the LinkedIn posts you had. <laughs> like, what are we doing here? <laughs> like, But yeah. then you see some that are really well thought out and maybe it is relative to some of the LinkedIn posts, but it digs deeper into the details and examples and, you know, more like that. But some people you know, really don't take it to the extent that you're talking about and do something that's worthy, that's of excellence. You know, they just put something out there to have something out there to help with SEO and extending the awareness of their brand, but it's not really good. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it's funny you talk about that. I I had a guy called Rob Fitzpatrick on my show about 20 episodes ago. Wait a minute. You mean the mom test author? Yeah, I know. Hold on now. So you got to remember, I come from the startup world. And one of the books that I require students to read, I'm also an adjunct professor of entrepreneurship when I have time. And his book is a staple in my arsenal. That's awesome. Well, he's written another book. And and actually, I I haven't read The Mom Test. It's pretty funny. But I I have read his other books. He's got one on, on how to deliver great workshops. But he's got one called Write Useful Books. And it's just this, you know, it's just a really great point of view where you don't want to write something that's actually useful for people who read it. And I know it shouldn't be kind of, that shouldn't be out of left field, like, but it, it really is. You see a lot of books that are basically a business card and, and what's between the covers doesn't really matter all that much. I don't really like that. I, th- I think, you know, somebody commits their time 
I mean, whatever about the money, but somebody gives you their time and attention to read your book. I think there should be something decent in there. So yeah, so write yeah. useful books. That's a book recommendation for anybody out there who's thinking about writing a book. Write Useful Books by Rob Fitzpatrick. That's it. And also for any of you all that are trying to figure out how to do customer discovery or customer interviews, sometimes people call it user interviews for your new innovation. I suggest The Mom Test by Rob Fitzpatrick as well. So shout out to Rob. He's a really smart guy. And it's just such a coincidence. Small world, huh? Very small world. Yeah. But it, it's the same mentality. And, and he's taking that same mentality to books where you talk to your potential readers and you, you get their opinions on what you're writing about. Yeah. Well, I always wonder, I think he's a graduate from Georgia Tech as well, which I went to for my master's. And I thought that his background was actually engineering. It may not be, but he seems to have a discernment when it comes to behavioral science of like people. I don't, I don't know where he gets that from, but maybe that's something that's natural, but he's really good at what he does. Yeah. Yeah. And I'll introduce him if you want me to, uh, if you want him to come on the podcast, I think he'd be great to get on. Yeah, I'd love to. And the students at the universities I speak at and teach at would freak out <laughs> if they actually like, whoa, that's him. I, I had Steve Blank, you know, in the startup community. He's a he's a rock star. Like, you know, he's certainly someone that we all look up to. Yeah. And, you know, having him, people are like, whoa, you know, Steve Blank. I'm like, oh, I had dinner at his house once. They're like, wow. Just for the listeners, this is the amazing thing about having a podcast is that you can have conversations with all these people. It's it's brilliant. I yeah. had uh, Marcus Sheridan on my podcast last week and David Baker a couple of weeks ago and people like that. It's just, you know, it's it's really great. Yeah. The big advantages of podcasts that I think people tend to gloss over. They look at the SEO and the listeners and all that kind of stuff, but the relationships are so important. Oh, so important. So important. You know what? Before we move into the next topic, I want to ask you this question because I saw something that you recently posted on LinkedIn and it was about the question was, is marketing even necessary if you're in a relationship business, quote unquote, relationship business like consulting? Mm -hmm. Okay, so I really want you to elaborate with your thoughts about that. Okay, so I'm going to go back to what I was talking about earlier. A lot of consultants will say, well, I don't don't need to do marketing. And in fact, marketing is a dirty word for some people. And in some of the big consultancies, they don't talk about marketing or sales. They literally don't use those words. They don't want to use those words. But in reality, marketing is necessary for every type of business. You're just doing a different type of marketing. You're usually doing referral-based marketing, which is word of mouth. And the reason that is so important in the world of consulting is because what we sell is invisible. It's intangible. So it's very hard for people to get a read on, on what we're going to be doing. And usually what we're doing as a consultant, it's quite risky because it's it's transformative in some way. So the work that we're doing is this risky, transformative work. It's very hard to see. A lot of people who you work for, your clients don't want you to talk about the work that you did for them because maybe the state that they were in before you helped them was embarrassing. And so you've got this thing, this kind of perfect storm where it's very difficult to sell what you're doing. And so there's a huge amount of trust required. And so word of mouth, this personal referral builds up that trust. Now, if you don't have that and you want your marketing to substitute for the kind of trust that comes from a personal referral, it's very difficult to do that with a Facebook ad. And so what, what can you do? Well, what I think that you can do is you can do content marketing 
or education marketing, some people will call it, or authority marketing, some people will call it. And that's where you publish your thoughts on topics online and where people will discover them and find them. And as they read and consume or listen or watch your videos, they will start to build up this trust for you. And that trust substitutes for the personal referral. And so that type of authority marketing or inbound marketing, that's the type of marketing that I wanted to get to that I wasn't able to with my first business because it wasn't specialized. And that's what I've been able to do now because I have niched down and specialized. So that's why I think that you know marketing is really important, but it will only work if you specialize. If you don't specialize, it just won't work for you because you're going to be trying to create a podcast for everybody. You're going to be trying to write a blog post to 20 different types of industry and it just it just won't won't flow for you. So um, does that answer the question? It sure does. I mean, you definitely explained it in a way that I, I believe our audience, it, it drives it home for them. So thank you so much. Before we get ready to wrap up here, I must ask you about your, I don't call anything failure. I call it learning. But you mentioned in a previous conversation about how your MBA was in a failed business you had mm-hmm. back in 2011. What was that? So back in 2008, 2009, my business started in 2007. 2007 was a banner year. It was was fantastic. My first year was a six-figure year. Fantastic. 2008 happens. Middle of 2008, things were okay. End of 2008 comes. It's very rocky. The markets all crash. You know, everything that happened, the Great Depression, some people call it, the financial crisis, other people call it. So that hit and my business was tanking. I was in serious trouble. I was in debt. But at the same time, I had had a lot of people come and ask me to partner with them on various different things. And so there was a couple of different projects that I partnered on. And one was a software project. And so we developed a software product, a consumer software product. And when we launched it, first we launched the crickets and for, for three three or four months, nothing happened. And then my partner got on national radio here in Ireland. So we sold 50,000 euros with about $60,000 worth of product overnight, effectively, because of his radio appearance. Mm-hmm. And so we went from nothing to being very busy and then saying, hey, you know, we've really got something here. This is this is potentially very successful. But actually, that was the end of the business because what happened was once we had money in, we started to change how we were approaching it. And I realized that his vision for the business and my vision were chalk and cheese. Meanwhile, over the next four months, five months, we got no follow-up sales. So the initial spike that we had, it didn't result in, you know, a kind of a trickle of sales after that. It just stopped dead. And so we had this situation where we didn't have more money flowing in and we were starting to disagree on things. And eventually it came to a board meeting where there was a third party who's a silent partner in the business, an investor, and effectively the two of those kicked me out of the business. So yeah, um, that was a tough meeting. (laughs) So so, um, yeah, so I I consider that old experience. It it took about three years and it it probably cost me about the same as an MBA. So (laughs) it was a good learning experience to have. Um, I'm not sure if I went back and a lot of people say, oh, I wouldn't change anything. I I probably would change some things, Mm -hmm. but, um, but it certainly stands to me today, you know? Yeah. You live and you learn. And and those kind of experiences can't be taught in a book or in a classroom. Like you remember the feeling, the emotion of that time. Oh yeah. The biggest teacher. So Alistair, I want to thank you so much for spending time with us today on Unpolished MBA. And I know you're a fellow podcaster. You mind sharing the name of your podcast? Yeah, sure. So I have two podcasts. One of them is more like an audio course. It's just like an evergreen podcast. I think there's eight episodes. That's just called the Specialization Podcast. So if anybody's interested in specializing, go check that out. But my my interview podcast is called The Recognized Authority. And you can get that at therecognizedauthority.com. And what I'll do is I'll send you on a link so you can link to Rob Fitzpatrick's interview because I think you might find that interesting. Yeah, we'll put that in the show notes. 
Thanks again, Alistair. Thanks for accepting my invitation to be on the Unpolished NBA. A real pleasure. Thank you, Monique. Thank you for listening to the Unpolished NBA podcast. To hear more episodes or to request to become a guest, please visit unpolishedmba.com.